Hello everyone and welcome to the Wilds Cast. Today's episode is a rebroadcast of a Lunch and Learn on Facebook Live. It's the second in a special two-part series. The topic is technology and slander. Where do we draw the line? It's a Jewish perspective on the good, the bad, and the ugly of social media. So, without further ado, here's Rabbi Wilds. Okay, there are four pages in this handout. I'm going to do a little review for those of you who missed yesterday. Um, And those of you... uh, who were with us yesterday, um, unless you've got one of those memories, those steel traps, I'll do a little review. Um, We talked a little about um, technology in general, that Judaism in general is a pretty pretty pro-technology kind of situation. Uh, The internet has made the world quite small, um, and it's enabled us to be so much more efficient with our time and, um, and it's allowing me right now to talk to you in real time. But like all blessings, and like uh, um, any medicine has side effects. So we're talking really about some of the negative side effects of technology and how we can negotiate them and deal with them. Um, and uh, yesterday we discussed how um, social media, if not used responsibly, could cause uh, people's lives, uh, unfortunately, and we talked about fake news in the West might uh, affect a, an election, but fake news in other parts of the uh, developing world can cost lives. And I gave examples of Facebook use in Burma, um, which led, unfortunately, to uh, terrible um, killings and, um, and led to a refugee crisis from Burma to neighboring Bangladesh. The same Facebook, which has been such a blessing to us at MJE and through which I'm coming to you live right now, uh, has inspired great anxiety and stress in teenagers, uh, publicizing all the fun that one group of kids are having while another group sits and feels like they're missing out on all the fun and um, how much time we waste um, scrolling through our phones uh, I, t- I mentioned yesterday, and Dad, you'll appreciate this, that there was a, in 2013, there was a girl from California who made uh, headlines for drugging her parents. She put sleeping pills in her parents' milkshakes so she could use the internet past her curfew. This is how addictive the internet and social media devices are that this little girl you know, wanted to get a couple of hours extra, so she drugged her parents so they wouldn't see her on it. Um, The first issue we talked about yesterday was Lashon Hara, and we we discussed the concept of Rechilut and the different forms of uh, Lashon Hara that can be online, and we talked about politicians and journalism. I mentioned the movie Post on how the Washington Post disclosure of classified documentation revealed that for years uh, the government knew, the United States government, uh, through a number of administrations, knew that the war in Vietnam was an unwinnable war, and they kept sending our boys over there, and the disclosure of those reports helped to bring an end to the war. So obviously it's critical for people to know things that are going on, 
but how much do you disclose about a politician? I mean, do we really need to know every single little thing that the politicians are doing? And we do hold them to an impossible standard. And I quoted a, a line from Rav Cook, Rabbi Abraham Isaac Cook. Uh, in one of his letters, he wrote that a newspaper must elevate the community. A newspaper. Rav Cook said this. And he says, in its focus, in its presentation, it should aim to be one level above its readership uh, rather than catering to the base interests and prurient tastes. But only one level above so that its words and its messages should be accessible to its readers and can set a tone which is noble and idealistic. And my chiddush, my insight when it comes to Facebook is that we're all journalists today. It used to be if you wanted to get your article out there, you'd have to have it published by a newspaper of record like the New York Times. Today, you don't have to be a big shot. You just have to have a few hundred followers on your Facebook page. You post an article, and now you just got 500 people to read your article. So all of us, it, it's easy to be critical of journalists, but the truth is whatever we tell journalists to do, we ourselves have to follow because we ourselves are in that situation. Um, the second issue we talked about yesterday was the issue of cyberbullying, which we said was the use of the internet and technology to harm other people in a deliberate, repeated, and hostile manner. And um, unlike regular bullying that kids used to experience in school, cyberbullying is, is relentless. There's no, there's no respite from it. And we talked about how it's an absolute prohibition from the Torah, if you look at source number two, take a look at source number two on page one. We read yesterday, And you shall not wrong one man his fellow, and you shall fear God, because I am the Lord your God. And if you turn the page to page two, uh, we have the famous Rambam that we read yesterday, who spoke about Onaz Dvarim, the 251st prohibition is that we are forbidden from verbally wronging another person by telling them things that will distress and will humiliate them. Um, and we also talked about what's called Gneva's Das, which is very relevant. And someone asked yesterday in the chat whether it applies to non-Jews, and it absolutely does apply to non-Jews. Gneva's Das, if you walk into a store and you have no intention of buying anything in the store, and you start bothering the salesperson and asking how much does that cost and, and comparing it to other items, and you, you know that you have no interest in buying this item. So that's leading the other person to believe that you um, are interested in purchasing something that you have no intention of doing so. Um, however, even if there's a slight chance there just needs to be even a slight chance that you might purchase the item and then it's okay, even if you don't necessarily think. Um, but um, the, the, I mean, that's not as, uh, it doesn't sound as grievous as a, um, as a, as a prohibition, as, as cyberbullying, but it, it is something that we can do with our words, which is really important. Okay, let's move on to the new, uh, our new, uh, topic now within this, and that is source number three, distraction versus mindfulness. Now, I want you to hear something first that I want to share before we read this. Nicholas Carr, 
who was an acclaimed writer on technology and culture. He wrote a book called The Shallows. And the book called The Shallows is what the internet is doing to our brain. And he studied the impact on, on, on the internet on how we think. This is very interesting. His premise is that the inter not only, internet not only affects the way we're exposed to information, short art, um, sound bites, short articles, but it's changed actually the way we think. We have today what he calls dispersed consciousness. Has anyone ever heard of that term? I'll ask you, my students listening. Hey, Eddie Zarabi. Hello, everyone else joining. Howard Kazar. Good to see you again as well. Tom Weiss, all the buddies here. Lee, Lee Waxman, what an honor and a pleasure. Okay, so dispersed consciousness is basically where we jump from one topic to another. We read an article, we read an email in an inbox. Just think about what happens when you're doing your work at work. And I know this when I write a sermon. I'm sitting there staring at the computer trying to write a sermon, and then, bing, an email comes up. <laughs> and that email... Um, it looks really interesting, so I'm just like, I'll take a quick sec look at the email. I go to the email, which of course has a hyperlink. I click on the hyperlink, and now I'm reading an article about something that have nothing to do with my sermon. And as a result, the content of online articles has become significantly shorter. Our ability to read a book, a long article, has become not what it used to be. The internet is chipping away at our capacity to concentrate and to contemplate. And as a result, the deeper type of thinking where you make associations between ideas, creativity, depth of understanding has become compromised. Um, and he writes, Nicholas Carr, once I was a scuba diver in the sea of words, now I zip along the surface like a guy on a jet ski. Very superficial. The internet has actually um, affected the way we think. Now, more significantly though, social media devices, uh, by, by the way, I'm not trying to beat up the internet. The internet is really good. The idea of just being aware of that's what's happening. Okay, and that's why it's a good thing sometimes just to read a book from beginning to end. And follow the advice of my good friend, Amri Dahan. Amri Dahan used to be a regular at MGE and he's, he's a Harvard trained, um, uh, business thinker, but he once said to me um, that he said, Mark, when you work on your uh, drushas and when you do something, block out everything else. Focus. Don't do anything else. Don't answer your emails. Take a moment to focus. And I did this when I wrote my first book because I wouldn't get anything done. You do one thing and all of a sudden you're, you know, and multitasking is great sometimes, but not all the time. And more significantly, the social media devices prevent us, I think, from being in the moment. And I'm 100% guilty of this. What is the first thing you do in the morning when you wake up? Okay, you say the moda'ani. You thank God for being alive. 80% of people check their phones first thing in the morning. And I'm guilty of this. 79% of people from the ages of 18 to 44 have phones with them for 22 hours a day. 22 hours, which means they're bringing their phones to bed because most people sleep for more than two hours a day. The average person checks their phone 40 to 50 times a day, two to three times an hour. 
according to universe, done, uh, a study done by Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman, University of Pennsylvania, millennials are the most affected population. And another study done by, uh, conducted by the Bank of America concluded that people between the ages of 18 and 34 admit to having a closer relationship with their smartphones than the most important people in their lives. Average teen texts 1,000 to 1,500 texts a week. The average teenager texts between 1,000 and 1,500 texts a week. And this has created a generation which is not only distracted, but is having greater challenges being in the moment. Uh, I wrote this in my book, actually, that there were these crazy series of studies conducted by Timothy Wilson, who was a psychology professor at the University of Virginia. And they put people, listen to this, in a quiet room for six to 15 minutes without their smartphones, okay? They were simply asked to think and reflect. The only other distraction in the room was an electronic button, which if they pushed the button would deliver a severe shock to the person pushing the button. And they were all told that if you push the button, it will deliver a painful jolt. So you have two choices. You can sit and reflect, do nothing, just think, or push the button and hurt yourself, <laughs> okay? What do you think the majority of the people, particularly the men, did? They kept shocking themselves. They kept pushing the button because they just couldn't sit and think for that long. They just needed to, right? I mean, and, and I wrote this in my book, we're literally distracting ourselves to death. Now, okay, I can go on and on and on. It's easy to beat us, ourselves up or beat the internet up. And I said this yesterday, always good things always come with side effects. There's no such thing as a medication without side effects. Technology is a medication, it allows us to communicate, it allows us to board a plane in the morning and be in another part of the world in the afternoon. We want that, we like that. And by the way, that's the divine command from God to Adam. Vikiv shuha, conquer the forces of nature. God told Adam, make the world a better place. He didn't use those words, he said vikiv shuha, which is, I gave you this world, conquer it, master it, use it. Don't abuse it, we have a prohibition of baltashchit, of, uh, but, but use it six days of the week. One day, pull back. And that is my first solution. My first solution to the age of distraction that we're in is called Shabbos. Shabbos, take a look at the source sheet you have on page two. Zachor Yom HaShabbat Lekatsho. I, I taught a class just last night about Shabbat. I'm, it's here on, if anybody wants to see it, Rabbi Ezra and I co-taught a class on the holiness of Shabbat, part of our basic Judaism on Monday night class. Six days you shall work and perform all of your labor. On the seventh day, it's a day of Shabbos. You shall work all week long, but on Shabbos, neither you nor your son, your daughter, your, ma your manservant, your maidservant, your animals, your strangers, everybody rests. This is the Kiddush that we say on Shabbat day, because in six days God made the heavens and the earth, the sea that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day 
Al Kain Barach Hashem at Yom HaShabbat Ba'ikadshehu. So this is extremely important. Work. What are we refraining from doing? The text says, not to do work. Work, we know, is not the exertion of physical labor. But what is work? Work refers specifically to 39 activities that went into the building of the tabernacle. Each of those activities involved the creative use of our intelligence to manipulate the physical world in some kind of way. In modern times, those activities translate into driving a car, using your smartphone, since the electricity which powers the phone falls under one or more of those 39 acts of work. And by the way, people always say this to me. Back in the day before the pandemic, you know, Jill and I, we host 15, 20 people on Shabbos. I work really hard. I take naps after Shabbos is over. I'm exhausted. I'm schlepping in chairs. Jill's moving the food back and forth. We're singing. We're this, we're that. We're running back to shul. We're coming back. It's, it, what am I doing? I haven't engaged in any one of the 39 acts of work, but if I go over to the light switch and I flick a light switch, somehow I've worked. Because what we're refraining from doing on Shabbat is not simply the physical exertion of labor. That you can do. What we're trying to disengage from is manipulating the physical world. And by doing that, we're basically turning the world back to God. We're declaring God as the ultimate creator. And that forces us to temporarily shut out life's distractions so we can focus on what's really important, on our families, on our community, on our spiritual relationship with Hashem. My mother, Aleha HaShalom, and I know my father remembers her saying this, our, our home was crazy on Fridays. Right? My mother ran a very tight ship. We had a very, very neat home. She was of yucky German-Jewish descent. Everything had to be in a certain way. She would then light her Shabbos candles and then this like, this air of just um, tranquility and peace came above, uh, over her. And she was just tranquil. And, and she used to say, I just don't know. What do people do without... I'm sorry, my, my lamp, my light here just keeps going on. Hold on, is it off? <laughs> okay, what do people do without Shabbat? How do people really, you know, maintain their sanity without that little island in time? Now, Shabbat, of course, has all of these positive commands. We, we make the Kiddush, and we eat the three meals, and we pray in synagogue, and and if you can't pray in synagogue like we can't right now, we do pray at home. And, um, hang on one second. I'm having all these issues with my the phone here. Okay. Um, so it's the refraining, though, from the 39 activities that I think enables us to use those positive aspects of Shabbat, the lighting of the candles, the two loaves of bread, the, the meals, all of that. Ultimately, it's the refraining from the acts of work that allows us to really appreciate and celebrate the positive things, the, the family, the community, our relationship with God. In life, you need to have what's called white space. You know, my friend Gary Sternberg taught me this. He used to do a lot of the graphic artwork for MGE in the early years. And I remember one time he was creating a flyer for us. And I said, Gary, you got a little extra room on the flyer there. Why don't you throw in another program we're doing? 
And he said to me, I'm sorry, hang on. He said to me that, um, having some glitches on my phone, I apologize. He said to me that, um, you know, of course I could stick in another program. He says, but that's not the way the mind works. You, you ever see like margins? Why do we have margins? I'm using some notes here. Why do I have a margin here? Why, why don't we just write to the very top of the page and on the very bottom? Because you know what happens when you look at a piece of paper that's complete ink? It's like the same feeling you have when you walk into a department store and you're bombarded, your senses are bombarded, there's just too much. There's actually a lot of psychology that goes into this. When the department stores sell too many of the same item, they make, their sales are less. They actually make less money with more because we can't handle so much. The human mind cannot handle being bombarded by so many images at the same time. And you need white space around your page or else you can't really see what's in the middle. And that's, I think, what Shabbos. Shabbos is like the white space. And uh, it's just too much noise. And Shabbos is this kind of forced blackout. And our device addiction eats away at our capacity to be reflective within ourselves. And I also think it cuts into our relationship building. I feel it with my own kids during the week, even during the pandemic, we're all around each other the whole week. But I'm not just, I'm not as connected with my children. Uh, when, I, when, I, when I've got the phone, right now I'm speaking into it. Um, and there is this minhag accustomed to uh, have the wine overflow from the cup during Habdallah. Because we want Shabbos to flow into the week. We want some of that white space of Shabbos to sort of permeate the week as well. So I would say that one very important remedy to the distractions of um, the internet and of social media is Shabbat. It's having that one day, and, and guess what? It's hard in the beginning, but once you do it, you start enjoying it, and I'll give you the biggest proof. I asked my daughter, and my daughter, Leon Hara, is 16, and she is a teenager on her phone all the time. And I asked her, what do you, what do you like about Shabbos? And I, it was when she had about five or six other of her friends over. They all said the same thing. We love turning our phones off. And I'm like, you love turning phones, but you're so, you guys are so crazy on the phone all week. Yeah, but we know when Shabbos comes, we can't use the phone. So there's no pressure. None of our friends are using it. We all turn it off. And it's just a great break. And that's from a 16-year-old. Now, the second solution I want to pro-offer our brachot, our blessings. Take a look on page three on top. Um, the source sheet over here, just look on page three where it says um, blessings. Uh, the reason we recite blessings, by the way, is not to bless God, right? God doesn't need our blessing. We recite blessings to acknowledge God as the source of whatever it is we're about to enjoy from the physical world. So the bracha, actually the word bracha is connected to the word berecha. A brecha is a spring. A spring is the source of water. So too God is the source of our blessings. So saying a bracha is basically just acknowledging that God is the source. That's why you, we don't say baruch, we don't say bless God. We say blessed are you, O God. Baruch atah Hashem. Saying blessings really is critical. 
in developing awareness and appreciations for the things in life we take for granted. That's why Judaism has got a bracha for coming out of the bathroom. It's my favorite bracha. Because generally we only think of blessings when they're threatened. But saying a few words when you have something that's good in your life forces you to think about what you already have and what you already should be grateful of. This is critical in the Western world where we have so much and we're waiting for the next best thing to happen to us in order to be happy. Guess what? You have a reason right now to be happy. You can go to the bathroom. You can drink something. You have your health. You're surviving, thank God, this pandemic. We just don't realize it. And the brachas enable us to realize those things. That's why studies and gratitude by the well-known Robert Emmons of the University of California show that gratitude lowers blood pressure, gratitude improves your immune function, gratitude facilitates better sleep. Gratitude, I'm quoting from his study, blocks toxic emotions such as envy, resentment, regret, and, and repression, which can destroy happiness. And it even can help people suffering from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, a 2006 study on Vietnam veterans who felt and expressed gratitude regularly experienced lower levels of PTSD. Brachot help us savor the moment, enjoy what we're going through. And that's something that we can practice all week long. And that's something that as we're using our social media devices, as we are continuing to you know, gain from the benefits of technology, and we know it carries with it these negative side effects, we can counter those negative side effects with once a week putting it down by observing Shabbat and every day reciting brachot and recognizing the blessings that we have in our lives. I was just listening to uh, Jordan Peterson. I like listening to his stuff. And um, he quoted the same study that I quoted in my book, University of Michigan, and a lot of other studies that show that increased Facebook use um, is linked to greater levels of depression. And the reason is very, very simple. When was the last time you, sh you saw a Facebook post of someone who reported on something miserable happening to them? My girlfriend just dumped me. And then they post a picture of the girl dumping him. Have you ever seen such a post? Uh, I failed the, the, the exam. I don't know, whatever it is, the entrance exam. I didn't get in college. You ever see somebody post a letter of the, uh, uh, the, 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 the university sends them denying their acceptance into the university? <laughs> no, you only see the letters, right? You only see, like I just posted my son, Yosef, graduated, uh, is graduating from Yeshiva University this semester. So I posted a picture of him. There was no graduation. It was this online thing, right? So got a lot of likes, got over like 300 likes. Everybody was wishing a mazel tov. It was beautiful. I don't post when something goes wrong. <laughs> you know, when something, when my kids say something stupid or I do something wrong. And that's why Facebook, a little, we keep being brought into other people's joyous moments. Now, that's nice, but it then makes you feel like you're the loser. Because how come that didn't happen to me? You want to know something? Things are happening. It's just we're only posting the positive things. 
and it's important to keep that in mind. And I would also recommend that you think twice before posting something that's going to make someone else feel a little jealous. And I remember we went a couple of years ago, we went on vacation. Um, our family, we took out like a boat and it was so great. And my daughter took a picture of us and I said, I said, honey, don't put that on your Instagram. Because you might, you know, thank God we were able to go away for a few days as a family. Not every family can afford that. Right? And then your friend stuck at home is going to be like, how can, you know, bothering their parents. And their parents may not be able to do that. To think about the sensitivity that we have for other people as we post all these wonderful things that are happening to us in our lives. Think about the impact this is going to have on others. Not easy. Um, I want to talk about two other issues and then close up this topic. One other issue, which I don't want to spend a lot of time on, but it's quite important, and that is inappropriate sites. If you take a look um, at the handout, hang on one second. Oh, I'm sorry. That's my wrong notes. Here's the handout. Um, take a look on inappropriate sites. It says uh, source number four on the bottom of page three of your handout. We read a very famous verse from the Torah. And shall constitute tzitzit. This is in the third paragraph of the Shema. This is uh, taken from uh, the book of Numbers, chapter 15. It shall constitute tzitzit for you that you may see it and remember all the commandments of Hashem and perform them and not explore after your heart and after your eyes after which you astray. And um, Rashi tells us that the verb of velotaturu, um, not to scout around, in this week's Parsha actually, we're going to read about the Miraglim, the spies, the sin of the spies on Friday. That will be my lunch and learn. We're going to be talking about the sin of the spies and some other really interesting parts of this week's Parsha. So the verb has the same meaning as in numbers, and they returned from searching the land. The, the spies, they went out to search out the land of Israel before they entered it, and the heart and the eyes are the spies. The heart and the eyes are the spies of the body. They act as its agents for sinning. The eye sees, the heart covets, and the body commits the sin. Very important line from the Midrash. The eye sees, the heart wants it, and then the body carries it out. And this is a very, very um, important line. The Dasikanim, uh, another great commentator, says, when you see it, being able to look at the tzitzit, we have these fringes that we wear. When you look at them, um, the garment is only worn, um, when you wear them is of the essence, garments are worn only at night, are not required to have such fringes attached to them. This is why a blind person is not required to attach fringes to his garments. In other words, the commandment to look at the tzitzis, the, the fringes, I'll pull my tzitzis out here so you can see what I'm talking about, is meant for people to see them. Here we go. These are the tzitziot, excuse me, right, the fringes. Um, they're really designed to be able to look at, because you see them. If you look at them with a proper concentration, you will, it, it will be as, as though you looked at the throne of God, which is supposed to look like the wool dyed blue. 
My son actually, my other son has the wool dye blue in his tzitzis. I don't. But if you look at the number of strings and knots, it comes out to the number 613, reminds us of the mitzvot. We have certain uh, things that remind us of God and the commandments and our purpose in this world. The mezuzah, right? We have a mezuzah on the door over there. The tzitzit, the tzfilin. These are supposed to be things that remind us of our purpose and our mission in this world. And he says that if you look at the tzitzit, that Rabbi Meir describing the difference between the tint of blue, the blue that's supposed to be in the tzitzit from all the other colors, it's because it's the closest to the blue of the horizon, the heavens, by which is a definition, a reminder of the heaven beyond it. Uh, actually, uh, have a friend of mine who was in the Oval Office during the Bush administration, and uh, President Bush at the time told him that when he became president, you could choose the color of the um, carpet in the Oval Office. And he said he chose the color blue because blue reminds him of the heavens. And when he makes decisions in the Oval Office, he wants to think about God. Not everybody likes that story. I happen to like it. <laughs> um, separation of church and state, right? But really interesting idea. That's exactly the idea of the tzitzis. Supposed to see the thread of blue. And when you see the blue, you then, it causes you to think about the blueness of the ocean, and then the blueness of the ocean causes you to think about the blueness of the sky. Once you think about the sky, you think about God. Now, why am I talking about this? Because that really is ideally the best thing to look at. We want to look at things that remind us of our purpose and our mission. And the question is, what kind of images do we allow ourselves to be exposed to? Because whatever it is that we get exposed to is what ultimately fills our heads. And of course, I don't have to get too particular of how much negative exposure we have on the internet. There's a lot of positive and beautiful things, but unfortunately, there are a lot of negative things as well. There was actually a study recorded in Psychology Today. Uh, by Amanda Maddox and her colleagues of men and women ages 18 to 34 who were in romantic relationships. And they studied this group and they found that people who did not view any inappropriate kinds of pornographic type of sites had lower levels um, of negative communication, lower levels of negative communication, and they were more committed to the relationship and had a higher sexual satisfaction and relationship adjustment. Their rate also of infidelity was at least half of those who had watched sexual material alone and then with their partners. Really interesting study that seeing those negative images can actually affect and impact the relationships and the sexual pleasure that we get out of our committed sexual relationships. Nathaniel Lampert, Session, Nagash, and others conducted five separate experiments, experiments which demonstrated that watching porn reminds the viewer of all of the potential sexual partners out there and in turn lowers one's dedication to that one person that they're actually involved with. And it also leads viewers, according to studies, to actually swap out the person that they're actually with for some fantasy individual that they've never met. 
Another study showed that over time, exposure to these kinds of um, uh, sites was a, uh, a robust predictor of infidelity. So it's a billion dollar industry and it is very, very addictive, unhealthy for our personal relationships. And again, what we look at, what we try to expose ourselves to, you know, is where, what, what seeps into our mind. And as the great founder of the Hasidic movement, the Baal Shem Tov said, you are where your thoughts are. Um, we are really present depending on what is going through our minds. And it's difficult because we live in such a sexualized culture and environment, and it's very hard to sort of lower that down. That's what Judaism wants us to do, not completely ignore and deny the sexual impulse. We know that that's not what Judaism teaches, but to keep it within reason so that it can become a way of expressing love and commitment between two committed individuals, and, and, that, and that's why sexuality is such, such an important part of a marriage as far as Judaism is concerned. Okay, one last thing I want to share with you, and that has to do with modesty and humility. Um, very famous verse from the, from the prophets, from where we derive the Jewish concept of what's called in Hebrew tzniut, modesty. Higid lecha adam, this is from Micha, the prophet. Uh, we're on page four. Uh, page four on the bottom, uh, source number five, where it says modesty and humility. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. He's talking about God. God has already told you what is good. What does God demand of you? What does God want from you? Rather, what God wants is for you to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk with tzniyot, excuse me, to walk with modesty, with God. And the uh, Talmud tells us here, in uh, the Tractate of Sukkah, page 49b, what is the implication of the text that we just read? The verse, it's been told to you, O oh man, what is good? What does God ask of you to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God? To do justly means to act in accordance with justice. To love mercy refers to acts, performing acts of loving kindness. And to walk humbly before God refers to attending to funerals, providing a bride with a dowry for her wedding. Now, can we not make a fortuitai deduction? It's called a kalvachomer. If, if in matters which are normally performed public, the Torah says to walk humbly, how much more so in matters that are normally done privately. Because what does the Talmud say? The Talmud says it refers to attending a funeral or a wedding. And the Talmud then says a funeral and a wedding. Those are very public kind of events. And the Torah wants us specifically to walk humbly when it comes to a funeral and to a wedding. And therefore, if in matters, says reasons the Talmud, that a person normally performs publicly, the Torah is telling you to walk humbly, then how much more so that you should walk humbly in matters that are private. And take a look at the next source here. Um, underneath, attending to funerals, providing a brow, um, um, excuse me, the Radak, I just want to give you another commentary on this, says that even in public areas, 
arenas like funerals and achnasat kala or wedding, one should strive to act modestly. Now the Malbim writes, one of the great more modern day commentators says, um, in, the, in his comments on this verse, he says that it teaches that one should not wear their religiosity on their sleeve. And namely, when you walk with God, when you follow God's commandments, do so modestly. Don't flaunt it. Don't wear it on your sleeve. Um, I mean, um, and you know, it's interesting because he's saying this about your religious life. So how much more so when it comes to our physical life? And the reason I'm bringing this up is because Facebook basically gives us a platform to show off, right? Again, it's all about moderation because telling everyone everything is great, that's, you know, it, it, it's, and, and, and wearing all my accomplishments, look how amazing. And it's hard because when you see other people do it, you feel you want to do it too. And it's difficult, you know, at MGE, we use so much. We want to show off our people. We have this new uh, posting, these new Facebook postings we do called Humans of MGE, where we are uh, just telling you about some of the really interesting people in the MGE community. We're trying not to show off but we are kind of displaying them so people can see, look at the nice young men and women that are coming to MGE, that'll encourage other people to come and, and to see you know, the really quality, talented people we have in our community. There's nothing wrong with doing some of that. We just have to do it within moderation. So showing off what we have, whether it's our success in work or our beautiful, significant others, it produces a level of envy of jealousy, and even resentment. And I think that's the idea of what we call ayin hara, the evil eye. You've heard of that maybe? The eye, what is the evil eye? The evil eye is tied to jealousy. And therefore, we don't want to be flaunting. We have a lot of money. Nobody would take their money and strap it to their chest. Look how much money I made, right? But we, we do a little of that sometimes. We, we, we put ourselves out there and what that ends up doing is that it inspires some level of jealousy in others. It's also promoting something which isn't really real, right? We end up portraying a false sense of who we are because, as we said before, we only really post things that are positive. And it's a little misrepresentation of our real and true life. And I guess people know that, you know. But I don't know, it would be interesting if we could have like one day of the week. I was thinking of asking Mark Zuckerberg, you know, just call them up and say, why don't we have like Sundays or Tuesdays, one day of the week, you post things that aren't so perfect. I got fired, my girlfriend dumped me. You never, so, you never see those kinds of, um, of posts. Uh, lastly, but not leastly, um, wasting time. The last negative side effect of technology is that it's addictive and we get sucked into it and we waste a lot of time. Um, and, I, and I have a very simple solution and practical suggestion, and that is use the internet for the positive. There's so much wisdom. There's so much Torah on the, on, the, on the internet. Be involved in wisdom and building up the world. Don't use your Facebook page to put other people down, to post things that are negative about other people. Share things that are positive, that will encourage other people have a positive outlook on humanity and the world. We all know this stuff. We don't need another news device telling us something awful that's happening some other place or some nasty comment that somebody said. 
It's out there already. Okay, the idea is to try to share some positivity and wisdom. Learning Torah is always the, an the, the antidote to this. Valuing time. I mean, we, we, we have such an important injunction to learn Torah as much as possible. The Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, tells us not to waste our time. I will say this in memory of Rabbi Lamb. Nobody understands Rabbi Lamb, who um, was the president of Shea University, was raising tens of millions of dollars and producing scholarship. And uh, I was listening to his children speak about him at the, at the memorial service. The man wasted no time. And I remember him giving a lecture that you do need time to set aside to have, just to chill out a little. He didn't use those words, but it's kind of what he meant. It's okay to take breaks and to relax and to enjoy life. But there's a difference between that and just getting sucked in and wasting hours upon hours of time every night just scrolling through the Facebook feeds. And, and I get sucked into it myself. Um, and um, it's, um, it, it, it's, it's an opportunity to, to do this. And I, I can't tell you how much Torah there is on the web now. It's unbelievable. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. I think a lot of people are. Just Google, watch his videos, listen to his Torah. It, and it doesn't have to be rabbis. I, I happen to like listening to Jordan Peterson. There are other great people. Maybe you're a little more uh, liberal-oriented. There are some really great liberal... Um, thinkers as well that are sharing their perspective on things. And um, you can grow from that. I mean, there's a very fine line when you start getting into the beating up of other people. Stay away from Lashon Hara. Stay away from saying negative things about other people. It doesn't produce anything positive. Stay away from the inappropriate sites. Try to, we can control what we do. We just have to fill our time more positively. And just, you're on the same internet device, turn it off and put something positive on. I like listening to stand-up comedians. I like going on, I like uh, Jim, Jimmy Kimmel, I like um, the late night show, I can't believe I blanked on his name. The main late night guy, I think he's hysterical, and I love Conan O'Brien. I listen to these guys. Okay, maybe it's a little, you know, wasting time. It's a little break, it's a nice little thing, and it's not, I don't think it's, it's, it, it brings you into some negative place, and, and they're not addictive. Um, uh, and, and I think all that is great. And last but not least, podcasts. There are a lot of really good podcasts. I heard there's a new one called Wilds Cast. I just started a podcast. Uh, Binyamin um, Cohn, who is posts and helps us with everything, he's, uh, he takes some of these lectures and turns them into podcasts. And a lot of people have been listening. It's been really, really rewarding for me as well. So take advantage of the technology. Uh, try to recognize that it will distract you and it will make it harder for you to be mindful. So do the Shabbos thing, do the Brachos thing, stay on the positive sites, stay away from Lashon Hara and enjoy the technology then because it's there for us to benefit in terms of our professional work and even our personal lives, as long as we use it in moderation and we use it alongside knowing the negative things, that it's, it is making us more easily distractible, but we've got Shabbos to come back to. We've got blessings to acknowledge the basic things in life that sometimes the internet 
you know, it doesn't force us, but it, it, it inspires us sometimes to just forget, to be forgetful of those things. And then enjoy it, because there's an opportunity there. I thank you guys for listening and for uh, participating. We're going to take that phone call in a minute. Um, and uh, we will see you for Lunch and Learn tomorrow and a week from tonight. Please know that a week from tonight, we will be having MGE's online dinner. We're going to be raising a few dollars for the organization, which we desperately need uh, to continue our important work online. And we're starting to uh, do some social gatherings, but very, very small in Central Park. If anyone is interested, email me privately. We're not putting it out there for the world, but on Shabbat, we will be meeting. I'm not going to give you the information, but it's going to be on Shabbat morning. We're meeting to do some praying and some uh, studying together. And uh, uh, we're not blasting it out because we have a limited number of spaces. But if you are interested, email me at rmwilds at jewishexperience.org. I know that's long. R as in rabbi, M as in Mark, W-I-L-D-E-S at jewishexperience.org spelled out. rmwilds at jewishexperience.org. Email me if you're interested. I'll send you the information. You need to sign up because we need to know who's coming and everyone needs to bring a mask and sit six feet from each other. We've been doing it the last couple of Shabbatot, getting our feet back, um, you know, little by little. Have a wonderful day. It's gorgeous out and enjoy the beautiful day. Take care. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Wildscast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do, it helps others discover the show. Music from today's episode comes courtesy of Yosef Wilds. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, please visit our website at jewishexperience.org. Or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us.